Alrighty. Good evening and Happy New Year. Um, I feel like we're now getting to the point where we can stop saying that. So once I've, now I've, I've wished you all a Happy New Year. I've seen you all. I've wished you all a Happy New Year. Then that means that we're kind of done with that greeting now. But um, we're into 2020, uh, which is kind of incredible. I can't really believe that we're in 2020. Um, it means that 1990 was 30 years ago, uh, which blows my mind a little bit. It means if you had one of these guys when you were growing up, um, they're now 21 years old. They can legally drink in America. <laughs> so Furbies are pretty old. Um, it also means that it has been 20 long, hard years since the Spice Girls broke up. Um, not over it. Some people are cheering. I choose to ignore that. Um, that means that that was actually probably after some of you were born, which is also kind of crazy. Um, 2020 for me marks 10 years in Scotland, uh, but I actually just yeah, we can cheer for that. Uh, enthusiasm, yeah, it's awesome. Um, it marks 10 years for me in Scotland, but I actually just had my first Scottish New Year. Um, I noticed a couple of cultural differences, which I enjoyed. I, I really love um, just how much you guys really get into the word Hogmanay. Happy Hogmanay, yes, what are you doing for Hogmanay? Um, I embraced that one fully. I also enjoyed how, um, to counteract the awkwardness of New Year's Eve snogging, you guys all stand in a circle and sing a song. Um, I thought that was quite nice. I feel like I might take that home with me um, if I'm ever back in Northern Ireland for New Year's. I enjoy the beginning of a new year. I love having an excuse to draw a line in the sand and declare something finished and something new beginning. Um, and I'm personally uh, really quite a big fan of a new year's resolution. I've made quite a lot in the past. Um, some of my past New Year's resolutions have included, but are not limited to, um, run a marathon, um, stop biting your nails, uh, thankfully achieved that this year, and um, eat a whole pavlova, um, which I have evidence of. Um, in my defense, it was just a single layer pavlova, okay? Not like a double layer. And pavlovas are 90% air and fruit, so. It's fine, I would recommend that. Um, which am I most proud of? Probably equal measures, all three. Um, some resolutions I've been considering this year, um, not that I've committed to any of these totally yet, but things I've been considering. So um, switch off the automatically play next episode feature on Netflix. I've been thinking about that one. Um, I've also been thinking about um, maybe learning how to use an alarm clock so that I can take my phone out from underneath my pillow and banish, banish it. I've been thinking about having more baths um, just as a personal gift from me to me. Um, I've been thinking about abstaining from Biscoff spread um, because it tastes delicious but is evil. Um, and I've been wondering about maybe dealing with my um, iPhone storage epidemic. I have, to my shame, um, 31,533 photos on my iPhone um, and 469 unread emails and counting. Um, I don't know what to do about it, but it haunts me. So that's another thing that I might deal with this year. The advertising companies um, of the world and the little robots inside my phone which listen to me um, know that I'm considering New Year's resolutions and know that I'm thinking about um, making a change and they love to uh, listen to us and then decide that uh, what resolutions we should make and how they can help us to achieve them. So some of the adverts I've been seeing lots of uh, through things like Instagram have been things for like uh, dating websites, dating apps, um, gym memberships and free trials, um, scammy slimming teas, Fitbits, Jet to holidays, uh, biotech facials that will, and I quote, switch my skin back on, whatever that means. Um, apparently, I should be eating two Activia yogurts a day and buying a carpet in the sale and also reading my kitchen cupboards. And in a nutshell, our consumeristic culture right now is really um, tapping into the fact that we 
uh, wants some things, and some things are most important to us right now, and there are things that we value, and some of the common trends among us are maybe that we want relationship, we want to be the best version of ourselves that we can be, and we want the possibility of escape, preferably to Greece, all-inclusive and soon. So as I wonder, as you look into 2020, um, for yourself, what do you want? What do you want most? What is most important to you right now? I've been thinking about this for myself for a little while. We've also been thinking about it as a church um, and on a church-wide level. What is most important right now? If you've been around for even a little bit of 2019, you may have noticed that it's been a bit of a wild ride for us uh, here at Rehope. We really had to step into our identity in 2019 as one church in multiple locations. Um, Belfast, Rehope Belfast has existed since 2016, but this year we launched Rehope Southside. In February, we launched Rehope Royston in November and it did really put us into that new era. And here in the West End, we believe that God is continuing to call us to be a resourcing church, a sending church that sends, uh, that equips and trains and sends people and resources to um, wherever he's doing kingdom work, whether that's in our city or beyond it. But beyond the West End, we've also been thinking um, as a team of us, we've been trying to answer the question for Rehope generally, what is most important right now or what is God calling us to as one church? And when we thought about that in 2019, we were asked that question, we thought about it a few months ago, the answer that we came up with at that point was oneness. We really felt like God was uh, prompting us to properly consider and work out what it looks like for us to be one church in different locations. But now as we step into 2020, um, it's a page turn moment and we have a, a new vision and a new hope for our church in this season, a new answer to the question, what is most important right now? Um, spoiler alert, if you've already picked up a fasting week card, um, it is point number two. So we are starting this year um, asking God to lead us deeper into the things of his spirit, um, to help us spiritually grow and become more spiritually awake people, both individually, like for me, and for us as a church. And it's not that this hasn't been something that's always been important to us, but it's that for right now, for however long God leads, we want to say that this is number one. This is the most important thing. So part of my story is um, I spent quite a few summers out at Bible camp, and I, I worked for a camp for a year before I came and worked for this church. And one of my favorite things about Bible camp is um, a night game. So I thought before I went, I thought I had an understanding of what it was to play a game in the dark. Um, I feel like when we do that in this country, mostly it's a glorified game of hide and seek, either like, you know, be found by the people or go find the people, but do it in the dark, woo! Um, that's kind of how we do a night game here, but then you go somewhere else and I went to camp and found that actually night games could be like these intense, like deeply competitive strategy games. And I find that when playing night games, uh, maybe as a cabin leader or maybe you're directing as a program director, you meet a few different types of campers uh, for a night game. You meet the strategist. So you'd meet this camper who would um, go to bed fully dressed, like all in black, balaclava on. They'd have like hand carved a weapon in their sleeping bag and they'd be clutching it for dear life. Like they are ready. They're sleeping with their eyes open. Like they know it's coming. They're planned. Like they, they, they probably made up the game, you know, like they're totally ready to win it. You meet the nervous blob, um, who are usually a group of, usually but not exclusively, female campers who uh, maintain physical contact for the entire game, do not let go of each other, and they're making some sort of indistinguishable noise that might be crying, might be laughter, you can't really tell which one it is, but you trust that they're enjoying themselves, so you leave them to it. Um, so you meet the nervous blob. You also meet um, the lone ranger. Yeah, the lone ranger is nearly always an 11-year-old boy, and they will just, like, cut 
all relational ties. Like people, no one exists beyond them. They don't care who they maim. They don't care who they injure. They are in it to win it for themselves and themselves alone. Also though, rather tragically, in my experience, you always meet the sleeper too. You meet someone who um, maybe they've had like the most incredible week at camp ever, but it's, it's the last night and the specialty staff come around at midnight and they're trying to wake them up. And for whatever reason, either like they're a teenager and they're just like on the edge of their REM sleep cycle and there's just no waking them, you can't rouse them. Or maybe they wake up and then they see that like it's dark and it's cold and you know, it's, it's late and they're tired and they're just like, no, I'm not up for this. So their cabin leader lets them sleep through the game. And in my experience, I very rarely encountered a sleeper who then the next day doesn't regret the fact that they slept through the game because they go to breakfast and they hear the stories and they see the scrapes and they're goaded by the winning team and the cabin who's got all the points and they just think like, oh, like I missed out on something. Like there was more of camp for me and I slept through it and they're gutted. I um, don't want to get to the end of 2020. I don't want to get to the middle of my life. I don't want to get to the end of my life and think there was more for me to have. There was more for me to know of God, but I slept through it. I don't want to be the sleeper. I don't want to be the person who, if it's a bit cold or a bit dark or a bit scary, that I sleep through it and I miss out. We want to become more spiritually awake people because we believe that in this crazy in-between time that we live in, God has given us his spirit so that we don't need to be lacking, so that we don't need to feel like we're on our own, and that there's always going to be more of him to tap into and more of him to know and discover, more treasure to be found the deeper that we go. We don't want to sleep through it. I believe the great cosmic battle at play for us is that God loves us. God loves the people he's made, all of the people he's made, and he wants us all to come to a saving knowledge of who he is, but the enemy would have us sleep through our alarms and wake up when it's too late, or at best, skim the surface of superficial Christianity, never getting to the really life-giving relationship that God has for us. This is just um, an introduction tonight uh, to, uh, to us thinking about this and, and praying for this and hoping for this for us, but let's, um, let's anchor ourselves. As I've been thinking about this um, over the last week, I've been back in the, the book of Daniel and just reading from the start of Daniel. Um, so I'd love to read from that tonight. I think there's just a, f- a few things we can take away from that passage. So it'll be on the screen. You can follow along um, and read with me. It says this, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for all instruction and wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them, from the Judahites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch, yet he said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. 
What if he sees your face is looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your students for 10 days. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men here eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and give them vegetables. I wonder if we can see ourselves somewhere in this story tonight. At the start of Daniel's story, by God's permission, authority rests on kings and officials who do not worship him. God's at work in human history, but not as the king of his people. And his great salvation plan hasn't been fully revealed through Jesus. And in the meantime, the dominant culture of that day is teaching and training and remaking people for the service of their own power structures. Now in Glasgow in 2020, we don't live in a dramatically, um, historically unique moment when you find that increasingly people are opposed to the worship of the God of the Bible and live by a different life script. We might read stories like Daniel's and, and maybe especially if we've grown up in Christian tradition, we might obviously see the enemy there. We might see the obvious lure away from worship of God and that different king for a different people. But before he left the world, Jesus prayed for us, prayed that we'd be protected from the evil one. And in Daniel, the evil one or the enemy has a body and a face and what is quite an obvious plan or what might seem quite an obvious plan to us to brainwash and to indoctrinate and then to increase his power and influence by sending these men back to their homelands as representatives for him. King Nebuchadnezzar lays siege to Jerusalem, the text tells us, but it seems to me like he seduces the people. The very best were to be chosen. They're handpicked. They're brought to a palace. They're to be educated for three years. They're not like put in prison, like they're put in school. And they're given the very best food from his table, from the king's table and the wine that he drank while slowly their thinking and behaviors are remade. Now in our lives, relatively speaking, we live in religious freedom. No one is um, attacking or laying siege to what we believe. We're free to worship God here. But I do think there are subtle forces of seduction at work, which if we're asleep to them, would have us worshiping at the altar of our own individual freedom and happiness is supremely good before we even realize that we got there. Nebuchadnezzar wants the men that he's grooming to be spiritually cut off from the God that they know. And Jesus prayed that we would be protected from the evil one because he believed him to be real. He knew him to be real and he knew that he wanted us to be cut off far from a deep and spirit-led life with God. But when we look at the book of Daniel, we see that God is alive and speaking at a work in that culture, which may in some way be like ours, not through the many or through the all, but through a small devo devoted few. Maybe there's something um, for us to note here. There's three things that I see in Daniel's response and his behavior that I want to imitate this year as I seek to become more spiritually awake. The first thing is that Daniel firmly decides something. Daniel firmly decides. So our generation, um, rightly or wrongly, has been dubbed Generation Flake because of our inability to commit to things. We're the sorry, not sorry generation living in what some people are calling the golden age of bailing. We're more overloaded with information than ever before. Apparently, we receive something of about 34 gigabytes of information every day. 
and we've got more choice anxiety than ever before. Apparently now FOBO is a thing, which is fear of better options. The information and the distraction and the busyness of our world is not making us more awake to what's going on, but is actually putting us to sleep and making it difficult to have deep and critical thought. I'm not gonna make any accusations, but generally speaking, we are potentially at risk of becoming increasingly guilty of being a one foot in, one foot out, don't commit in case you get a better offer, call your friends via Facebook kind of people. And as we're formed in this way, we risk sleepily consuming the things of God and the things of the world with no real resolve, finding ourselves eventually with a secular worldview that has a little bit of a Christian veneer to it. But Daniel firmly decides something. I think he models a response here that would make us more spiritually awake in our times. He's handpicked, he's uprooted, he's moved, he's retaught, he's renamed. But in verse 8, the whole story of the beginning of the book hones in on the fact that he determined not to defile himself with the king's food. He firmly decides to not. He gets off the culture conveyor belt at that point. Why at that point? I don't know the ins and outs, but there's something in his firm decision here that I see a decision to, um, to not have what is holy to him spoiled by food, which would almost definitely been considered unclean by Jewish law. He makes a firm choice that is for holiness. And his choice isn't just an inner resolve or an inner belief, but it has public and obvious ramifications for him. It's active, it's not passive, and it gives away the better for the sake of what would have been perceived as the less. And I wonder, do we want to be more spiritually awake? Do I want it? How much do I value it? When I think about what the world can give me and what the world is giving me, do I value this more? Because if I really do value it, then a determination for holiness is essential. As we pursue God's way, he responds. Um, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we say this a lot in pre-service prayer, but it's, it's great and it's clear. And it says, if my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. As we pursue God's ways, he responds and he awakens us to more of who he is. And as we become more awake to who he is, then our lives increasingly reflect that knowledge of him. I don't know if you can think of a time in your life, I know I can think of um, a few particular times where I've had to make a hard decision to step away from something or to go towards holiness, and I haven't wanted to. But what I've found on the other side of it is that I have become more awake to who God is. And I have, he has, through his grace, revealed more of himself to me because uh, I've, I've pursued him in a clear way. The text says, God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. And at the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. When Daniel firmly decides and make a, makes a move towards holiness, it unlocks for him greater spiritual awakening and depth of life with God. Okay, I'm going to do a little throwback to the 22nd of February, 2018. You guys remember the beast from the east? How could we ever forget? Um, it was a good time. Um, so a little story from the beast from the east week. Um, my, li my life was largely unaffected. Um, I work for this church, and I live uh, just down the road. So I was able to sort of trudge through the snow and get here, and that was fine. 
Um, but obviously, as we know, like everything else shut, like things just shut down. So I was getting a bit of cabin fever by about day three or day four. And I thought, you know, you know what I'll do? Like went home from work, um, nothing really to do, like super snowy outside, couldn't, the gym was shut. I thought, I'll do a home workout. I'll do a workout at home. That'll be nice. So I um, Googled it, found like an insanity workout and thought, got myself set up in my living room, got quite a big living room. So it's nice for a home workout. Um, got myself set up, thought, okay, right. Like my, my, I live in a tenement flat. You can see like clearly down the street. You can see tenement flats across the road. You can see the rock pub. You can see like the whites of the eyes of people here standing outside the pub. So I was like, okay, I don't want everyone watching me do an insanity workout. So I'm going to switch the lights off. So I switched the lights off and I was thereby quite invisible to the outside world. And I started to do my workout and that was fine. And then um, all of a sudden, about halfway through, I noticed that my neighbor was also home um, across the road. So he, he walked in and he was just wearing a towel around his waist. And I thought, well, that's quite bold, but fine. Um, you've got individual freedom to do what you want in your own flat. Um, I wonder if he, can, he knows that I can see him. Um, but I just kept going. I kept doing my insanity workout. I was quite distracted. It was fine. It was what I was doing. Uh, but then all too soon, he took off the towel and started to dry himself like they do in cartoons. You know, like between the legs, like that kind of drying. Okay, now what do you do in a crisis? What do you do in an emergency? You obviously stop, drop, and roll. So I dropped to the floor. I shouted for help from my flatmate. I don't know why, but I felt like if I had to see it, she should have to see it too. It's not good to live as if you're alone when you're not. That guy needed blinds or he needed to not do what he was doing because he wasn't alone. I could see him. He wasn't alone, but he was living like he's alone. It's not good to live as if you're alone when you're not. And what I love about this story, what I love about the whole book of Daniel is that Daniel doesn't do it on his own. He doesn't pursue God on his own. We live in a highly individualistic culture, which is shaping us to live out our lives as if we're the lead character in our own sitcom. Um, I don't know if you ever look for the cameras, but they're not there. <laughs> I'm not in my own sitcom called Laura. This is not my life. Everything does not revolve around me and my pursuit of happiness as much as I sometimes wish that it did. And the culture that we're in um, is training us to chase after our dreams on our own, to make a stand on our own, to read Bible on our own, to pray on our own, to do church on our own. And it's not that these things are bad, but when I look at the story of Daniel, I'm struck by how, um, for him, his, he and his friends resolve and act and receive from God together. When he determines not to defile himself with the royal food, he immediately says, hey guys, you know, test us. Like he brings his friends into it straight away. Test us and see how we shape up in comparison to everyone else. It's not one young man against a multitude, but it's a small devoted group against a majority. And to the four young men, God gives knowledge and understanding, and we see, we see a shared favor on their lives. In community, they live off less but physically thrive. They pray together in desperation and see mysteries revealed. They're promoted together, and they co-manage the whole province of Babylon. They don't bow down to the king's statue. Three of them are thrown into a fiery furnace and survive, and a king is converted. My favorite part of the whole book of Daniel, though, is when he calls his friends to pray with him. In chapter one, they pursue holiness together. They do the vegetable fast and God rewards them. It's specifically mentioned that Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. But then in chapter two, when the king has troubling dreams and he's desperate for insight and the stakes are raised and he calls in the wise men of the kingdom and, and basically says, interpret these dreams or die. I'll kill you if you can't interpret the dreams. They say it's impossible. The king gets angry and orders that they're all killed. But then we read, so Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the king the interpretation. 
Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of the heavens. Daniel asks for time, not so that he can go and have an extended quiet time on a mountaintop, but so that he can rally his friends to pray with him. I'm struck by how pursuing God together isn't his backup plan or his boost to his own prayers, but it's actually his first resort. He's even been given specific abilities and an ability to understand visions and dreams, and yet it's the prayers of his friends which unlock the answer for him. As you step into this new year, as you pursue God, as we seek to become more spiritually awake, is there a step that you can take? Is there a step that I can take to do it in community more? How can we do this together? I wonder, can my, can my Bible read-through group be a, a place where I find my home in that group who firmly pursue God together? Could my Bible read-through group be the people who I actually do call upon to pray as if it all depends on our prayers together rather than as like my boost or my, my second choice or my plan B? The third thing, um, the final thing that I, I see in this for us tonight is that Daniel has gutsy faith. In 2019, we spent some time um, wondering and trying to answer the question, what makes rehope rehope? And we settled on some core values that we want to um, influence how we behave and what we do. And these are um, the first one being obsessive closeness with Jesus, then a commitment to helping people grow, and finally, living with gutsy faith. And um, we don't mean blind faith, we don't mean reckless faith, but faith that is willing to go out on a limb in, a, on, in obedience to God and what he's asking us to do. And for our church, it's looked like things like calling our church to a five-day fast, believing that God will meet us there. It's looked like launching two new locations of a church in one year from this church, trusting that God is leading, so we want to follow. Mark Sayers, um, I'm reading a book by Mark Sayers at the minute called Reappearing Church, and he tells a story um, about an Arabic military commander who landed in Spain in the eighth century with an army to find that he was incredibly outnumbered. And apparently faced with this challenge, he did something counterintuitive and he ordered his troops to burn their boats. Gathering his men, he told them, behind you is the sea, before you the enemy. You're vastly outnumbered. All you have is a sword and courage. It makes me think of those moments in our lives, maybe like the moment before Daniel decided to abstain from the royal food, or maybe like the moment before he told the king he'd given interpretation to a dream that he didn't understand yet, where we have a choice we have a choice whether to push forward, trusting that God will be who he said he will be and meet us in that space and show up. Do we burn our boats? Do we dare to get rid of our insurance policies and our backup plans, trusting that God will keep his promises? Mark Sayers would say that when it comes to following Jesus in 2020 in a city like ours, our boats have been burned the boats of cultural or convenient or nominal Christianity have been burned, and we have a choice. We have a choice whether we go after gutsy faith, whether we go after a being as awake to who God is as we can possibly be, as if there's no other option, or do we stay where we are? Daniel goes out on a limb and gets to know the God who reveals deep and hidden things, who knows what's in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Those are the words he uses. That's the worship he gives God. 
And I wonder this year, as we push further into becoming spiritually awake people, what might be the new songs we'll sing? What is going to be the way, how how are we going to praise the God we discover as we push deeper into who he is and what he has for us? I have a few challenges um, tonight, just as I finish. And uh, they're up on the screen, but they are these. So firstly, um, I would love to challenge you to commit to pre-service prayer. Now, this might look different for different people. Um, This is not born out of any sort of desire uh, to see a particular number of people at pre-service prayer. Um, That's not our objective, but we do pre-service prayer every single week. And I I really do believe that um, of all the options we have at our fingertips, it is the best like incubation place to take a step to becoming more spiritually awake because it's just prayer. It's just a time of worshiping and praying and listening and seeking God together. And it's only about 20 minutes, but I believe it really does have an impact and it's a good incubation space for that. So I would say um, take a step with pre-service prayer. If if you've never been, maybe a commitment just looks like, okay, I'll, I'll go. Next time I can go and I have time and I'm, I'm free that hour before church, I'll go to pre-service prayer, see what it's like. Maybe you sometimes come um, and you like it and that's fine, but maybe your commitment might be, I'm going to prioritize going. Um, I'm going to turn up and I'm going to pray every week and I'm going to see what God does in me and does in our church through that. Um, maybe you come all the time, but you've, you've sort of started to like stagnate a little with it. It's almost, it almost just like washes over you because you're so used to it. Maybe your commitment in terms of pre-service prayer is to come and pray differently like do something differently, like uh, find someone and encourage them or pray in a different shape or pray louder or pray with new words, whatever it is for you, um, commit to pre-service prayer in 2020. My second challenge is to consider fasting week. It's coming up, it's soon. Um, Could this be a week that, that God might nudge you to take part in in some way, maybe for the five days, maybe for one day, maybe just to take a step forward in your prayer life. Um, take one of these cards, pray, ask God what like, what do I want to see you do this year? Can you put on my heart these prayer requests, things that you'd have me ask you for and ask you to do? Fill that card out, see how he leads you. Could it be a step to take, um, could it be an easy way to take a step closer to becoming more spiritually awake? And then finally, if it helps to self-assess a little as you begin this year, um, ask questions like, how spiritually awake am I? How real does God feel to me? How aware am I of his presence, of his help, of who he is? of his voice? What step could I take to grow spiritually or what area would I like to grow in? Maybe you you see someone else in church or you see someone else that you know and you think, they seem really awake in this way and maybe you could imitate them. Maybe just finding someone to imitate is a good next step. And then finally consider, how can I do this in community? That might be joining a Bible read through. It might be um, finding friends to pray for you regularly. It might be taking your Bible read through the next level, whatever that looks like. yeah, how can, I, how can I take a step to do this in community?